Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, just for the record, I want to make sure that I put up uh, tonight's uh, topic is Psalm 103. I really do know how to spell the Psalms. I'm uh, I'm getting as bad as uh, the the president south of the border talking about the palms instead of the Psalms. I'm I'm talking about the peace lambs instead of the Psalms. So I apologize for that. Just uh, moving very quickly. Uh, we had a little bit of an issue this evening with uh, Facebook. So we're not able to connect uh, to Facebook. Um, what we were hoping with the live Q&A today, and Pastor Murray's going to be joining me uh, this evening, what we were hoping with the live Q&A is that we would stream the questions from Facebook and from YouTube, and then I would share my screen so that uh, we can take, pick up questions from the uh, CGI dot church dot online uh, website so the way it's actually going to work out then is we'll pick up questions or we'll share screens so we'll see your questions on the cgi dot online dot church um, site we'll also be able to stream in your questions from youtube we unfortunately won't be able to stream the questions from facebook but i think we can also share uh, i'll share my screen on facebook as well so um, maybe Pastor Murray will just alert me that there's a question on Facebook and either he reads it or we can just share the screen. So um, that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, um, we're, de- we're at the tail end of Book 4 of the Psalms. Uh, book 4 ends at Psalm 106. Um, psalm 103 is a fairly short psalm. We'll just go through Psalm 103, uh, maybe about half an hour, and then um, Pastor Murray will come on. Uh, we'll talk for a little bit, but you guys, if you don't mind, brethren, uh, just start posting your questions uh, from anything, from the sermons, from the past studies. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the Book of Psalms, but if it's on the studies that we've covered, uh, hopefully um, from the Book of Psalms. And then, uh, yeah, we'll do our best to answer your questions. If there's anything we can't answer on the spot, uh, we'll take it away and then address it in a uh, subsequent message. Let us... Brethren, as is our custom, uh, open with a word of prayer and then get into the topic uh, for this evening. Our loving Heavenly Father, uh, great God Almighty, we are ever so grateful that uh, in this very tumultuous time, uh, a time of great anxiety, Father, for so many as you see, uh, not unlike uh, what we see in Torah, in Genesis, uh, when it grieved you to look down upon the earth because uh, the way of man was utterly corrupt, and there was tremendous violence and deceit in the earth. And here we are towards the end of the history of man, and same thing. But we know, Father, that your word is steadfast, and your love is, is, is also steadfast. And so we thank you for that, Father, that we can have stability in this great time of turmoil. Uh, And thank you, Father, for the insight and the knowledge that we get from the book of Psalms, uh, the most quoted, the most quoted uh, scroll uh, when our Lord was on earth. And so we just thank you, Father, as we patiently uh, read through this book or these five books in the book of Psalms or the scroll of Psalms. Uh, We pray, Father, that as we go through line by line, uh, you would deepen our insight, deepen our understanding and certainly deepen our faith and our trust in you. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Uh, Please bless our study now. Bless those that are tuning in live. Uh, Bless those that will tune in later and watch the archive. And together, Father, we pray that we will be conformed to the mind of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So um, Psalm 103, and I'll just go ahead and share my screen here. 
And uh, we'll begin at Psalm 103. It is a Psalm of David, and it's a Psalm I think that we're all uh, fairly familiar with. Uh, let me just remove the banner here so we can see everything. And he said, uh, it's a Psalm of David, so this is from King David. And this again, um, brethren, this is in Book 4, which we had just read through all of the enthronement psalms. Although this is not necessarily an enthronement psalm, it's still within Book 4. And so we want to still cast our mind forward to Jesus Christ being on earth, to Jesus Christ ruling the whole earth from Jerusalem. And, and here is King David uh, providing this praise in Book 4. So it's a psalm of David. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And so we've established that his name is holy. And uh, we we talked about that. Somebody did ask the question about the the name of of God, how to pronounce it. And some believe that it's uh, Yahweh. Um, But it's very, very clear that it is not Yahweh. Uh, and, And if we look at the Hebrew, the Lord. Uh, Very clearly, if you understand how to read the the Hebrew, uh, you can see there that it's it's Yehovah. It's Yehovah. Uh, So when we read the Hebrew text, uh, clearly the vowel markings indicate Yehovah uh, and not Yahweh. There's nothing. Somebody had submitted something that said that uh, they found some ancient inscription to prove that the pronunciation is Yahweh, because the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, uh, this they were they they had written Yahweh, and that was just dead on arrival because the original Hebrew had no vowel markings. So the ancient Israelites, uh, if, when, when they wrote the, the, the Hebrew uh, at the time of their journeyings through the wilderness, there's absolutely no way they would use vowel markings. So that's impossible to prove that Yahweh is the pronunciation um, using ancient Israel because there were no vowel markings. Um, as we look through the text, early text, we actually do see the vowel markings for Yehovah. Having said that, uh, a brother shared a video with me, and you, you can probably find it on YouTube, um, and I just, I've just forgotten the name of it. And Brother Peter, if you're watching, maybe you can just type it in the chat. Um, but there's a, um, a Messianic Jew who praises the Lord Jesus Christ, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, through a series of uh, kind of deductions, uh, came up with a pronunciation for Yod Ve um, I'm just forgetting. Hey, hey, let me just look at it here. Yod hey vav hey, vav hey. So he came up with a pronunciation for that, and he's indicating that it is Yahava, not uh, not Yehovah. And he makes a very compelling argument. And from my understanding of Hebrew and uh, the meaning of Hebrew names, and every Hebrew name has meaning. Uh, it's a very compelling argument. So I just want to study his. Um, his argument and the root word in more detail. Um, we certainly know it's not it's not Yahweh. Now he says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me." And we know it's not Jehovah either. There's no such thing as Jah. Uh, and the the wa sound is something that's a later innovation or, or adaptation. So it's either going to be Yehovah or Yahavah. Um, and there's a very very compelling argument for Yahavah. I just want to study it a bit more. Uh, so bless the Lord, O my soul, and listen to what he says. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. So this is, he, he's speaking to himself and he's summoning himself to truly with everything, praise the Lord. 
And uh, this you can actually see when Christ has returned and he has resurrected the saints that have died uh, in Christ and, and all the promises are being fulfilled. You can imagine the intense joy that uh, that David in particular will have when he sees himself ruling over the house of Israel. So bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's an intense praise. And it also speaks to uh, the way Israel was designed to praise God and what Moses uh, prophesied, that when they reach this level of praise with God, then their captivity will end. But they have to be driven to this level of repentance where they will truly, intensely and wholeheartedly praise God. And, and, and in the context when it says bless the Lord, it's not that so much that he's blessing the Lord as much as the indication is he is praising the Lord. That he is praising the Lord as the source of blessing. Bless the Lord or praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's really stirring himself up. And forget not all his benefits. And that really is the, the, the fatal flaw or the weakness of Israel. They forget that God does so much for them and they forget. But he's now admonishing himself not to forget these benefits of God. And then he begins to list them. He forgives all your iniquity. So first he's telling himself, praise the Lord, all my soul. And, and he's, he's sort of conjuring up this intense praise of, 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 of the Lord. Uh, and now he turns to the community and says, look, this is what he does. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. And in a sense, he's talking to his own soul, but by extension to the community. This is what God does for Israel. He forgives all of our iniquities. And we have many. But this is God we're dealing with. And he has an intention for Israel. And he, he has a love, a covenant love for Israel. And Christ came in order for all the iniquities of Israel to be forgiven and, and ultimately all of mankind. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. And it doesn't matter, brethren, what the disease is. Ultimately, the, the word is all. It's all. Even in this life, if we succumb to disease... The word is still steadfast. The word is still sure that God will heal all of our diseases. And so we have that, uh, that spirit body to look forward to, which is a body with no disease. And so it doesn't matter what the disease is, whether in this life or the one to come, the word is he heals all of our diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. And that again, I'm, I'm hearing Torah, I'm hearing Moses. Telling Israel that you're going to you're going to invoke the curse clauses, and 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 you're going to invoke destruction upon your life, but there is a redemption process, and He is coming. He ha- He came so that this redemption process could be activated. So Israel activates the curse clauses, and then Christ comes to activate the redemption. So He redeems your life from destruction, and then He says, uh, "Who crowns you?" with loving kindness and tender mercies. So again, he's speaking to his own soul, but he's also talking to the community. And the community is intended to be a kingdom of priests. So this, these priests are not, they sort of after the order of Melchizedek. They're priests, but they're also going to be crowned. They're also going to be kings. And we are the first fruits of this process. And he's going to crown us with his character. We will wear, we will wear his character as a crown. And, and what is the root, as we've been studying these psalms, for me anyway, I hope for you as well, brethren, that as I've been studying these psalms, the role of chesed, covenant love, covenant commitment, 
that he enters into this marriage covenant with Israel. And it, it doesn't matter that Israel is, is, is wayward, that Israel does not fulfill her part of the bargain. God, God is not wayward. God made an oath. God made a commitment. And he has, he has cassette. Covenant love, covenant commitment. It's unwave, it doesn't wave. It's un, it's unshakable. It doesn't waver. So, so that character and faithfulness of God, as David is now seeing all the prophecies fulfilled, he comes to the conclusion that not only does God redeem our life from destruction, redeem his life from destruction, redeem the life of Israel from destruction. He also crowns us, crowns David, and crowns us, Israel, with cassette and tender mercy. So we, we will be crowned with his character, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And as soon as I hear that, brethren, I think of what we studied in Isaiah. But they that wait upon the Lord, and this is the difference. So are we among those who wait upon the Lord, who have a very profound understanding of what God is doing in the earth and how these ancient prophecies are being fulfilled now? That as we look around the earth today, we see Isaiah, we see Jeremiah, we see Ezekiel, we see Micah. We see uh, Habakkuk. We, we see Moses. We see all the works of these prophets unfolding around us today when everybody else has no clue. They don't open the text. They don't study the text. Even those who do open the text have no true understanding of the cohesiveness of the text. So they don't start with Torah. They start with the New Testament, quote unquote, the New, or just to say the Gospels. And then they make those Gospels make mean whatever they want. And then they go into the rest of the uh, New Testament, the apostolic writings, and they make things up. And it's all about the church. It's replacement theology at its finest. And then, you know, they go into the book of Revelation with all of its um, imagery, and they really begin to make things up. And then they look around the earth, and they have no clue what's going on. Every prophecy they're expecting fails. And their faith is weak. But for us, brethren who have the privilege of understanding Torah and growing in our understanding of Torah and then building on that uh, Torah understanding with the writings of the prophets and the wisdom literature and then building on that understanding with the gospel accounts and the book of Acts and all of the apostolic writings, including the book of Revelation. And it all is one cohesive narrative. And we understand this. And that's where we can be patient and we can wait upon the Lord. It's not, it's not sitting back and doing nothing and saying to God, why, why are you so late? It's actively waiting. It's, it's, it's waiting with a profound understanding of what's happening and that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now, there are those among us who are impatient. There are those among us who are being seduced by the world. There are those among us that are uh, getting very active in social movements, and they have disqualified themselves. They, they do not fall into the category of those that wait upon the Lord. And so we have to do what we can to set the example, to preach the truth, to get them to search the scriptures. And if we have personal relationships with them, uh, God says or through, through the Apostle Paul, warn them that are unruly. We need to warn them you're going down the wrong path here. 
I know it feels right. I know you feel very powerful, but you're going down the wrong path. The path that we're on is to wait upon the Lord and to demonstrate our faith and our understanding of, of his return so that we are seeking his return. Because when he returns, it's going to be terrifying for most. But for some, it's going to be, yes, this is our Lord. We have waited upon him, and here he is. So we seem weak. We seem irrelevant. But God knows, and we are waiting upon him. And those that wait upon him shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And this is certainly David's experience as someone who understood what it meant to wait upon the Lord and not take vengeance into his own hands. Now, listen to this, Psalm 103, verse 6. And David reigned over Israel. And just before I go to Psalm, um, I just jumped ahead. Let me go back to Psalm 103 because this is really important. Again, those that wait upon the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord, Jehovah. Jehovah executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Huh. So we don't have to exercise judgment for those that are oppressed because this is God's work. This is, this is the whole purpose of, of God's redemption is to execute righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. So if you see inequality, if you see oppression, so does God. And God has made a plan that is going to resolve all oppression. And this is why we wait upon him. This is why we don't take justice into our own hands. But now, when we do take justice into our own hands, we better know what we are doing. Because with whatever judgment we judge, with it, we will be judged. Now, the Lord Jehovah, he executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. This word righteousness, let's just look at the, the Hebrew. This word uh, righteousness, let me just uh, highlight it here. It's Zedekah. Think of Melchizedek, Zedek. So Zedek is righteousness. And, and the Greek word here, or the Hebrew word is Zedekah. Okay? So it's righteousness, but it's not just righteousness. It's also just judgment or justice. And just judgment here is Mishpat. Mishpat. So Zedekah and Mishpat is what he executes. Righteousness and judgment. But this word righteousness... I want you to notice David is the one who's writing this psalm. We are translating what David wrote in Hebrew into English. And the translators say righteousness and judgment. But look at what David, what, what's written here of David um, in 2 Samuel 8.15. And David reigned over all Israel. So he's the king. He's reigning all over all Israel. He's going to be resurrected to reign over all Israel again. But here he is now. He's consolidated the house of Israel. And he reigns over all Israel. And what did David do? And David, as sort of the symbol of Christ over Israel, David sitting on God's throne, David executed what? Judgment and justice unto all his people. 
So God executes righteousness and judgment. David executes judgment and righteousness. So we wouldn't really see the connection unless we go into the Hebrew. Judgment is mishpat. That's what God executes, mishpat, judgment. Justice is zedekah. (laughs) What was translated as righteousness is actually justice. It's a certain type of justice, which is, I mean, righteousness is fair, because everything God does is righteousness, and when he judges, he judges with righteousness. But all of this malarkey about social justice, where we will take a criminal, a, a, a God-forsaken soul, like George Floyd, and hold him up as some kind of hero, and fight for justice, and say social justice, when this is the type of individual, unless they repent, that when Jesus Christ comes, he's coming to destroy. I'm telling you just based on scripture. That unless he repents, Jesus Christ is coming to destroy these types of, he's dead now, but when he's resurrected, he'll have to repent. But all those who follow in his path of criminality and lawlessness, we better not be saying, just as they are, they need justice. Because that's not Zedekah. The kind of justice that God executes, which David executed, is Zedekah and Mishpat. So judgment and Zedekah, righteous justice. This is what, and, and that, if we go back to Psalm 103, the Lord executes Zedekah and Mishpat for all that are oppressed. But those that are oppressed have to repent. They have to repent and turn to God, and he will then act on their behalf. It can't be that they just do as they like and, and uh, just destroy. They themselves are, you know, George Floyd. May God have mercy upon him when he is resurrected. And we certainly grieve over how he lost his life. His life came to an end. But he, in fact, was an oppressor. He was oppressing others. And those that he was oppressing, God will exercise mishpat and zedekah on their behalf. And then we have brethren endorsing and supporting godlessness, lawlessness, iniquity. Brethren and even some ministers. We have to repent, brethren. God is not fooling around. And we need to understand what is justice. And it's very clear here what God does. So the psalmist here, David, he's coming and this is like a comprehensive praise of God. This, this God that we serve. King David is just, just beside himself in trying to communicate to the community just how incredibly awesome This God is. And then he's listing why David is in such awe of this God. And and one of the main points of why David is in such awe is Zedekah and Mishpat. Which in fact David himself, being crowned with the character of God, the man after God's own heart, David himself learned to do that as well. And if we are going to be men and women after God's own heart, we need to learn mishpat and zedekah, not Marxism. And it just, it just grieves me. It grieves me to the, to the bones and to the soul to see God's people deceived and deceived in such a, an excitable and intense and almost arrogant way. It grieves me because they don't see what's, what's ahead. So we pray. We pray.
God is very, and again, God is very merciful. He's very patient, but time is running, running out. Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. So it's like open bracket, Moses, close bracket, the return of Jesus Christ. The Amen. It's sort of the end of all things. Then there's this thread that goes from the open bracket to the closed bracket in the history of mankind, in the history of Israel. And we see that, you know what? From the, whole, from the moment this thing opened up, Moses declared the whole thing. He, he made known to Moses his mishpat and his zedekah and how the whole thing was going to unfold. So that Isaiah, when he comes along, he's inspired to say that this is the same God, the only God, that can declare the end from the beginning. So not, not even so, so Moses, when he's writing Genesis, and he's writing the accounts with Adam and his wife, Eve, that from that, from he's writing Genesis, the beginning, he's declaring the end. And so when we come to the end in Revelation, we see the whole thing. Moses knew it. And from ancient times, that which is not yet done, saying, my plans will stand. Nobody can work against my plans. And so this is the true God. The only God that can declare the future, and then nobody can, can withstand what he says is going to happen. And he himself leaves heaven, comes to earth to ensure that what he said would happen, would happen. And, and Moses knew all of this. And to me, my go-to scripture, and you've heard me quote it so many times, is Deuteronomy 30, which comes after Deuteronomy 28 and 29, when the whole blessing uh, portfolio and curse portfolio is outlined. And then we have Deuteronomy 30, and Moses just outlines the whole future of Israel, right up to the return of Christ. So he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And then he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And this is, this is the silver lining, brethren, for me, for you, for our brethren that are walking in darkness and think that, that they're doing God's work, uh, is that God is patient. And, and maybe as the world turns and, and now, you know, um, Black Lives Matter was all about getting the Democrats into power. And so now the Democrats are in power. Maybe now people are going to wake up and realize, wow, what have we done? What have we conjured up? Where is the world heading now? And have, have we been bamboozled? Have we been fooled? Have they been race baiting us and playing us for fools? Maybe now people will see this. But that would be great. Why? Because God is patient. As long, as long as there's life, and as long as he has not pulled the trigger and put an end to the history of man, as long as there's time, as, as uh, I, I, that um, sermon that Pastor Murray gave on the compass of the clock, it just keeps going around in my head that we need to get both of those right. Compass has to be pointing in the right direction, and the clock has to be telling the right time. But as long as there is a bit of time, there's time to repent. There's opportunity to repent. And this is why God says to the elders, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Because it's all in the word of God. We just have to faithfully convey it. And the word of God will activate the Holy Spirit in God's people so that his merciful, his, his mercifulness can rain down from heaven. He's slow to anger. He, he, should, he should have wiped us all out a long time ago. He should have wiped Israel out long. That's to me, that's when I, when I studied Israel's history and realized they're still a nation. And there'll be a nation forever. 
that's when I realized, wow, truly God is gracious and good to Israel. And so he says to the the community, he will not all, he's speaking to his own soul, but he's also speaking to the community. He will not always chide. Neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins. Praise God. This, This is why we must praise him with intensity nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And, and this is so true. This is like when I read this, again, Isaiah. The second Isaiah opens with, comfort you, comfort you, my people. Somebody has to comfort Jerusalem. Somebody has to comfort Judah. But you can't comfort Jerusalem and Judah if you don't understand what's going on. In fact, how can you comfort Judah? How can you comfort Jerusalem when your philosophy that you have bought into causes you and forces you and inspires you to side with the Palestinians who want to destroy Judah. So your philosophy of social justice is dragging you down a path to join forces with Satan and the tools of Satan to destroy Judah. Because anybody who wants to destroy Judah is doing God's work to to invalidate the promises of God. But God says he's not dealt with Judah after their sins. A very, I agree. Sin, people want to point to me how, how sinful Jews are. Great. What's your point? I, I'm not saying Jews are, are saints. In fact, I'm, the scripture is saying the opposite. But God has not dealt to, David says to the community, God has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And so we who understand the true gospel can take the gospel to Jerusalem and speak comfortably because we understand the plan. We can speak comfortably to her and just just around the corner now. And that's sort of, to me, the most significant thing about the change in the administration in the U.S. is Jerusalem is exposed. Now we watch Jerusalem. This is the news. This is what we must be watching. But we're watching it, but we also understand as dark as it's going to get, light is coming. In fact, the light of the universe is coming. And so we can speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. That, that, that yes, she is sinful, yes, she has to suffer, but it's for a purpose to drive her to repentance. And once that purpose is accomplished, her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins, but that's to drive her into this jewel for God. And we understand this. And God explains, or David explains, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And so this is what we have to do is to drive Israel, to drive Judah and Israel to this fearfulness of God, the true God, with the true understanding of the gospel. And so that his great mercy and chesed can be extended toward them. And, and you know, God says, you know, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that, that as high as the heaven is above the earth, so is his, are his thoughts above ours. And that he has not cut off Judah. He has not cut off Israel. He, he intends to give Israel a hope and a future. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. And again, it's all about this proper regard for the for, for, for God, for our Father and, and Jesus Christ. When we come into this right relationship with him, we're like children. And he loves us as his children, and we love him as our father and our elder brother. And it's like a, a child learning to speak. And, and you know, we don't, we don't believe in this uh, superstition of the Jews, 
that you must always say Adonai. And if you if you ever say his name, in fact, if you if we were in ancient, not ancient, but uh, the first century Jews and even a little bit before that, they would put you to death if you dared say Yehovah. They put you to death because as far as they were concerned, it's so holy it must never be mentioned. And for fear you might mispronounce it. So God is our father. We're, we're children. We're, we're learning along the way. So when I had my little son and, and maybe he was learning my name and he says my name, I'm not going to crush him because he said it, he, he pronounced my name wrong. <laughs> this is, we're a family with God. And this is what, this is our understanding that Israel is part of God's family. We are first fruits and we are bringing the, the fall harvest into a right relationship with God. And it's going to get it's something that the, all the nations of the earth will hate us for this, for this insight and this understanding, because Satan will have deceived all the nations to be allied against Jerusalem. And unfortunately, some of our brethren are going to be deceived as well and find themselves on the wrong side of the plan of God. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And, and it's hard for us to remember because he's made us in his image. And although we're dust, we have incredible capabilities. And although we operate on a temporary basis in this sort of a electrical chemical existence, with it doesn't feel like it's temporary. It feels like, as long as we're healthy, it feels like we'll live forever. Unless we lose our health, then we begin to realize, wow, this really is a temporary existence. But God doesn't forget that we're dust. As for man, his days are as grass. And this is for Israel, but it's also for all the Gentiles. As powerful as they are, they're grass. We see them get older and they wither and they begin to decline. All the glory of the past years is suddenly it's gone. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Yeah, he has his day. He's, glory. He's glorious when the flower flourishes. But then it withers. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. And you also get a sense of David walking and having seen beautiful flowers one day, coming back and walking down the path the next and they're gone. And they were so glorious and beautiful. That's man. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. So, so here he is now. I, I believe in this resurrected state or projecting or prophesying of this resurrected state where he's surrounded by, by first fruits Israel. He himself being a part of that first fruits harvest, having eternal life. And this, 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 this eternal life is only possible because of the everlasting mercy of God. And his righteousness unto his children's children. And exact, this is exactly Torah, Deuteronomy 30. This is exactly, and he says this was declared unto Moses. This is exactly what Moses prophesied. That God would indeed have mercy upon Israel and upon their children's children. Once they're driven to that point of true fear of God. To such as keep his covenant. Oh, it's all about the covenant. It's all about the covenant. It's all about Torah. It's all about Torah and the covenant. And we can't get seduced into deviating from Torah. We can't get seduced into deviating from the covenant relationship. This is the Kassed is within covenant. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Reminds us of Malachi 4. When God says, remember what I commanded Moses and do that. And again, we have these deceivers. Satan is working ever so hard to trip us up one way or another, but wants us to leave the commandments of God. And we cannot. And when we say the commandments, we don't just mean the Ten Commandments. 
the last commandment Jesus Christ gave when he was on earth was to love one another. And if we are not loving one another, we're not in this category of those who keep his uh, covenant and remember his commandments to do them. Luke now, um, this is the mother of Christ, Mary, when she says, his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. So David is quoting Torah. The mother of Jesus Christ herself, Mary, is quoting Torah. What Moses understood, that his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The Lord, verse 19, the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So God has a place and it's in the heavens. And Daniel gives us some insight. And Daniel and John and Ezekiel give us some insight into what that throne in the heavens looks like. But it's a place that God sits in his throne. And Jesus Christ sits in a throne beside him. And we will sit on thrones. As as Christ comes to earth, we will sit and rule from earth. And God the Father will bring his throne to earth. But the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. It doesn't, it's not, so David is king over Israel. But God's kingdom is over all. All the, the we're going to see some incredible powers, especially with all the technology, the latest in, in, in the biological medicine and all these things, AI. We're going to see some incredible power of the Gentiles. God rules over all of it. All the kingdoms are going to become the kingdom of God. And this, in, in fact, how the book of Isaiah ends in 66 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. This is, this is God. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you built unto me? And where is the place of my rest? So this is the God we, we worship. He's the Lord over the whole earth, over all kingdoms. And then... David now bringing this psalm of praise to a conclusion. Bless the Lord, you his angels. So now David is telling the angels, praise God. That you angels that excel in strength, you praise God. Join me in praising God. You angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments. So God commands and the angels go out and do it. Hearkening unto the voice of his word. Then he says, bless the Lord, all you his hosts. You ministers of his that do his pleasure. So God is coming with the host, the whole army. And we will be part of that army. But the, all you hosts, David is saying, all of you, join me in praising God. And, and then he ends how he began. Bless the Lord. All his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's just, he's in such awe. You know, when David, um, when he was alive, and the Ark of the Covenant came back to Israel. David was ecstatic. And he praised the Lord with all of his soul. And, 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 and he danced. And many people quote that David danced. Yeah, he danced. He was in such an ecstatic state that he, the, the Hebrew implies that he was just twirling and twirling in such joy. And in the process of praising God with all of his soul and all of his heart, which is what um, Torah says, you must praise God with all your mind and all your, your heart and soul. Uh, that's what David was doing when the Ark of the Covenant returned. And he was in such an ecstatic state that it seems that he exposed himself. And the language of condemnation from his wife, Michal, she just despised him. That as the king of Israel, he exposed himself. 
and she was watching him from the window, and she could not stand it. The king exposing himself like that, and he was in such ecstasy. And when she condemned him, he said, I was dancing before the Lord. I was dancing in the face of God. And I was just so intensely in awe of this God and the victory that he has brought for Israel. And now in this psalm, he's telling us, and he's telling all the creation, including the angels, he's commanding, join me in praising this God with all of our heart and soul. So, brethren, let's not get um, caught up in this world, in this world's agenda. It's just like we're so close to the finish line that now is the time more than ever for us to truly, truly, deeply uh, understand what it is to be a part of this covenant community and that, that God has invited us to. So with that, brethren, we'll, we'll finish the um, uh, formal part of the study. I'm going to bring in uh, Pastor Murray. And let me just uh, quickly switch to my headphones here so we don't get feedback. And uh, Pastor Murray, hi there. How are you? Hey, good evening, Pastor Adrian. How good are evening. you? Yeah, great. Thanks so much for uh, joining. Always appreciate your support on the studies. And I really enjoy when we can uh, just have a little, little bit of a, a pit stop and pause and kind of reflect uh, with each other and also answer any questions that come up. Yeah, it's been uh, it's a pleasure uh, being able to join you from time to time and uh, certainly appreciate all the uh, positive feedback and the interaction and the engagement from everyone, uh, literally from around the world. Um, more and more, and, uh, definitely appreciate all your efforts in uh, putting these together. Praise God. And it really is like brethren from all around the world joining. And it's just such an honor that we can be together uh, in this service. And, uh, you know, brethren don't know the half of it of how we work together. Uh, but boy, what a blessing. Uh, for us to be able to rely rely on each other and also Deacon Jan. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, maybe just as we wait for our questions to come in, um, Pastor Murray, and I'll go ahead and check. Uh, so YouTube, we can we can feed in. Um, Facebook, we cannot. Um, and we can just share a screen, or or Pastor Murray, you can um, just share with me uh, any questions coming in from uh, the church online. Uh, but maybe just your thoughts and comments sure. and questions for now. Yeah, so I haven't I haven't been able to log on to Facebook, so you'll have to watch that. For okay, us. I have not been able to. We do have a couple of questions on uh, on church online, which we can get to. Uh, sure. But it's it's definitely been a, um, a fascinating study uh, of of the, the psaltery overall, um, and especially here as we get into as we are nearly done book four. I, I think some thoughts that come to mind is is that uh, we really come to understand the true meaning of of covenant love. Uh, when we get through the Psalms. And um, I think back when we were first studying, the, uh, when we first studied the concept of covenant, it becomes a, a conditional covenant, an if-then statement. Um, and uh, we think of the covenant failing when, when things go wrong. And really it's what we've learned is that it's not the covenant failing, it's the covenant succeeding. Yes. It just happens to be the covenant <laughs> curses. Exactly. Um, yeah. And when we, and I think it was interesting uh, as you began book four, we went back to the end of uh, book three, the doxology at the end. And it really ended with, with, um, um, I guess a, a bit of being flabbergasted that, that the, the, these, uh, curses, uh, there's so much negativity from God. And really it's the explanation that these are really just the, the covenant curses that God is just living up to what he said he would. And now book four really has been fascinating because now it just really points us to, as you've, you've labeled them, the enthronement Psalms. Uh, I think there's one from Moses, two from David, and the rest are, are, are unnamed. 
but it's just a, it's it's great to see God's magnificence come out in all forms of the covenant, whether that it be us having to understand why things are not, things look like they're going wrong, why he's using outside forces to to inflict pain upon his people. Um, and then as the, as, uh, David looks forward to, in this case here, as we read today, as David looks forward into the future, all the, the, the blessings that come with being, uh, God's covenant people. And as you said today, it really, it's really about driving God's people to repentance. So, so, uh, Pastor Murray, probably I don't know how long that took you, maybe say two and a half minutes. You just summed up like the entire plan of God, uh, in, in, in such a profound way. And I, and I just, th- this is the message. I think this is what brethren have to understand. And I think when we understand what you just laid out, the way you just laid it out, I think this is where our patience comes from. That we understand that, you know what? It's impossible for God to lie. He's going to fulfill his word. These things are happening for a reason. We understand why they're happening. And we would never be seduced by the world with this understanding. And, you know, it's it's so relevant today with all of the angst that God's people have are feeling with how the world is going. Uh, you know, obviously the world is watching the United States and it sees how it's going. And by extension, it's affecting all of us, whether it be through politics, Marxism, socialism, COVID-19, all of these things are interrelated. Uh, um, and it, it's interesting that you pointed that out about just summarizing this in two and a half minutes, really, the, as, and that really speaks to the, the thread line of, right. of the gospel from end to end. Right. It's, it's really not that hard. It's right. just our, our humanity makes it difficult, and that's why we've got all of this here is because we've spent history working against something that we should be – it should be so easy to 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 uh, to work with. Yeah, our, our humanity and our preconceived ideas, right? So we get certain ideas in our head, and then instead of reading the Bible and having the Bible speak to us, we basically speak to the Bible. We tell the Bible what it's saying, and, 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 and we, we use the prophets, Instead of coming to the feet of the prophets in humility and being taught by them, we basically just use the prophets. Oh, I think I'll use Isaiah today. I think I'll use Jeremiah. Let me just pick up this verse and of it from Amos and, and use it to prove my point. Instead of saying, you know what, before I quote anything in Amos, let me sit down and be taught by Amos. And I'm just going to read the whole book of Amos so I can understand what it was he was teaching. And then when I'm when I've been taught by him, then I may quote him. But at least I have the context when I'm quoting, you know, Amos 9 and verse 6 or something like that. And even further back than that, I mean, that, that's assuming you've read the Torah and you've got the gist of, <laughs> <laughs> you've got the gist of what the Bible's talking about. Otherwise, exactly. otherwise, I mean, we've seen preachers, uh, even in the Church of God movement, look at Amos and they've looked at the whole thing, but not, not having it in context of, of, Correct. of, Torah, they've, they've, Labeled themselves as the uh, the one who's sitting on the king's throne now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Madness. And uh, you know, I was thinking of the passage because after the sermon on Sabbath, we had a great discussion, and uh, one of the great, really great questions that came up. So, brethren, for those of you watching, um, each Sabbath after services, uh, the Burlington and Ottawa congregation now will come together uh and have an after sermon discussion. It's something we used to do in person, sit at table after the sermon and, and and sort of go over how it impacted each person, any questions that they have. Uh, we do this virtually now. But one of the questions that came up from the sermon last Sabbath, which we hope that you were able to follow, uh, Sudden Death Overtime, uh, was the passage in Matthew 24 about Christ prophesying 
uh, that these days would be like the days of Noah and that one would be taken and another left. And just what you just said there, uh, Pastor Murray, it strikes me that um, Christ expected his followers to be knowledgeable of the Torah. So when he says it will be like the days of Noah, if you've never read Torah, you have no idea what he's talking about. But he fully expected that these people were well-versed in Torah and had understood, in fact, what um, Moses wrote about Noah. That, in fact, it was the, it was the wicked. Sorry, go, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say that it was, in fact, the wicked that were taken away, that Moses was not surprised by the flood. Uh, sorry, uh, Noah, Noah was not surprised by the flood. He knew it was coming. He was preaching that it was coming. And it was the wicked who did not take him seriously that the flood took the wicked away. So in the same way, Christ says that's the way it's going to be in the end time, that those typified by Noah will be preaching, look, trouble is coming. Quote, unquote, a flood is coming. Destruction is coming. And we're not going to be surprised when it comes. But those, as in Noah's day, who don't take it seriously, they'll just be eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, not taking it seriously. And so they will be surprised. And this destruction will come and take them away. So when it says two will be in the field, one will be taken, another left, we have to understand, in fact, in in Noah's day, it was the wicked that were taken and the righteous were left. And that actually, I think it might be worthwhile just sharing the scripture, but you were going to say something. Um, Go ahead and then I'll I'll just continue after. Sure. Yeah. No, I I think it speaks to uh, also the fact uh, that the importance of reading the Bible from front to back rather than. Uh, and, and we've spoken about this, about replacement theology and reading it from the New Testament back into the Old Testament. Right, rather right, than the right exactly. And, 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 and again, not, not reading it in full, not getting the context. And I think, I think that, uh, uh, the, the, the one being taken really lends to the, the erroneous belief that God's people will be protected somewhere else, that God needs to physically protect his people in this life. Yes. Uh, when really we've talked about how that's not really what it is at all. And um, really, we we need to understand the covenant from front to back. And even even ministers like Matt Stinson have, have spoken often lately about that very thing as well. Very, very good. Very good. I was just going to say, um, in terms of the passage in Matthew 24, and it might be worthwhile just bringing it up on the screen here, um, because there was a question, and I think it was, it's sort of, again, sort of just pushing back a little bit, gently, just for understanding, of the... Um, the one taken away, and I think because we've always sort of thought place of safety and the rapture uh, the, uh, teaching, the rapture doctrine. And by the way, we believe in rapture. So never say to somebody, we don't believe in the rapture. We believe in the rapture. It's just, what is the rapture? And the rapture is when Christ returns, he's going to, and the, the, the Greek word, I forget the actual Greek word, but he's going to uh, seize his people. And, and bring us into the air. That is the rapture. What we don't believe in is a pre-tribulation rapture, that Christ is going to come, cap- take his saints away, and then he's going to come back. So his second coming is actually his third coming. We don't believe in that. But when he does return, the dead in Christ will rise first. And there's just a passage here. Let me just get down to it. Um, yeah, verse uh, 40. Thanks. Verse 40. But as the days of Noah were... Then two shall be in the field. I just want to go back up, actually. So let me just start here. So this is the, the, the question that was in, um, what was in question. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two will be, and it doesn't say women, it just says two, will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So these are, the, this is the symbolic of the church. 
working. And if you think of Matthew 25, you know, five were foolish, but five were wise. But there, this is the church, and the church is working side by side. We don't really know who's who, because Christ says the wheat and the tares will grow together. So it looks like we're all doing the same thing, but one is being conformed to Christ in, internally. The other is not. The other is pursuing their own agenda and playing church. And, you know, as far as we're concerned, they can get away with it, but not with Christ. So who's being taken and who's being left? And if we think of rapture, those who believe in the rapture believe, oh, this is where the church is taken. Uh, those who believe in place of safety, oh, this is where the church is taken to the place of safety. But Christ said that it's going to be like the days of Noah when they're eating and drinking, eat, marrying and giving in marriage. So these are the wicked people who don't know what's going on. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them. So the flood takes away the wicked because they have no idea that the buds on the fig tree are blossoming. They have no idea that destruction is around the corner. Whereas those who truly understand, we're not surprised because we're preaching it and we're watching. So that the, now if we understand what happened in Noah's day in Torah, we know who's being taken. But a great question was this part. And it was just a little bit about the, the eagle. Um, let me just go back. Here we go. And then it says here. So he says here. Um, so he's told us before, so we shouldn't be deceived. So if they say to us, he's in the desert. So it's, there's, there's somebody in the desert that their God is in the desert. And they're taking the, the, the upper hand. And they're saying this is the true God. And Christ is coming to, according to our theology, to the desert. So we, we mustn't believe these people. Uh, don't, don't follow them. And, and he's in the secret chambers. Don't believe it. Why? Because when Christ comes, there's no secret coming, he's saying. There's no coming in and sneaking around and rapturing and nobody knows what's going on. No. He says, look, when I come, it's going to be like the lightning coming out of the east and shining forth even unto the west. This is how my coming, my appearance, my parousia is going to be. And then he says this. For wheresoever the carcass is... There will the eagles be gathered together. And I think that word eagles is better translated vultures. So when you see a dead body, all the vultures are gathered around the dead body. Well, the carcass is Christ. And we know that from the Passover. He's, he's the carcass. And we are the vultures. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. So wherever he is, that's where we'll be gathered together. So he's really saying, you know, you will know. Because I'm going to gather together. So somebody might say, well, this is showing then that it's the righteous that will be taken. No, he just said here that when they say to you, um, hey, he's come secretly to take you. Don't believe that. I'm not coming secretly. When I come, everybody's going to know. And he also, just uh, in terms of answering the question, he, he says a little bit earlier that um, there's going to be great tribulation. This is like the pinnacle of tri tribulation. It's never been like that. That the days have to be shortened in order for Judah to be saved. And for the elect's sake, Judah and Israel, Satan is trying to destroy them. But for the elect's sake, he's going to stop it. This is why we can speak comfort to Jerusalem. So if any man says to you now, there's some sort of secret return of Christ, don't you believe it? That's nonsense. Because there's going to be false Christs and false prophets. And they're going to show great signs. But don't, don't be deceived. Because I've told you ahead of time, when I come, everybody's going to know at once, okay? Then, where the carcass is, that's where the eagles will be gathered. 
So this is like there's no pre-tribulation rapture here. There's no kind of place of safety rapture here. When he comes, we know from other scriptures that the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive, if we're alive, those who are alive, uh, will then also rise in the air. Christ will come to the earth. He'll send his angels out to do what? To gather the elect, physical Israel, from the four corners of the earth, according to Moses' prophecy, and bring them to the uh, promised land. So he says immediately after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. This is what we're looking for. It's after the tribulation that the moon will not give her light and the stars and everything, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And that's when the the parousia takes place. So the destruction comes and takes the wicked. Noah didn't have to um, be, be taken. Noah stayed in place. It was the wicked that were taken. And we will stay in place. Our shelter is the Lord. We will stay in place. We're, we're, we're patient. We're looking for his appearing. It comes after the flood of Satan. And then after all these things, that's when he appears. And that's when that he's the carcass that appears. That's when we rise to him. And um, when he comes with the clouds. So I think it's just and that's when he sends his angels to go and get Israel, the elect from the four winds of the earth. And so he says, that's why you have to understand the parable of the fig tree so that you're not like those in the days of Noah that had no idea what was going on. And they were taken by surprise. I think Isaiah says um, fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites in Zion, that in Zion, there are hypocrites. And when all of this goes down, fearfulness is going to surprise them. Christ himself says uh, he's like a thief in the night and he's coming to take that which is most valuable from us. Because we have to be like Jacob, who wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is our heritage. And we have brethren now that first sign of trouble to let the whole thing go like Esau. So we have to be like this and just hold on to him as he comes in a thief, like a thief in the knife and sends this flood of deception and releases the seals to send this deception. And, and are we going to fight to hold on like Jacob and say, I will not let go until I receive this blessing. It's the pearl of great price. Or are we going to be like the wicked and then just be taken away because we didn't see this thing coming? <laughs> I went in a bit of a soapbox there, but it was a great question. And I think as we read in the context of Torah, we can sort things out. Yeah, and, and uh, definitely uh, if you haven't heard the sermon, uh, Sudden Death Overtime, do. It's, it is in the archives. It is uh, on the uh, is in the uh, YouTube channel, and uh, you will be uh, covering part two this coming Sabbath. So do join I, I, us. I will. At, I will. At uh, yes. 2.30 on Sabbath. We do have uh, three questions that have come okay. through. Uh, actually, we have we have four now. Um, first one comes from uh, Sister Marion, uh, asking if David is speaking of the Father or the Son. Uh, you were in Psalm 103, uh, referring to uh, Yehovah, the Tetragrammaton. Um, and actually, I think uh, if you go back, uh, Sister Marion, if you go back a few weeks to the study on Psalm 98 through 100, uh, you did a bit of a, uh, an elaboration on that, and you went to Psalm 110, which I think is the best place to point Sister Marion to, uh, Psalm right. 110, verse 1. Um, and again, it's it's opening up the uh, your Strong's concordance to to see the Hebrew meaning, the Hebrew words. And if you go to Psalm 10, 110, verse 1, uh, the very first line says, the Lord said to my Lord. And if you look at those Hebrew words, it is the Tetragrammaton, Yehovah, said unto Adonai. And then, obviously, then you read the next sentence, and it makes complete sense. Uh, uh, the Father, 
said to the son, set up, set up, um, up my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So, right on. Um, I think right. that's, uh, so, yeah, go back uh, to uh, some uh, study on 98 through 100, and uh, Pastor Adrian does a extensive um, um, elaboration on that, that point. Great answer. Uh, the second question comes from uh, Brother Jeff in Ohio. And, uh, again, he's been fascinated by your elaboration on the true name of, of uh, uh, Jehovah. And he has a question. I'll just uh, get down to the bottom of this and actually get to his question. Um, uh, Yeshua uh, matches Yahweh. Uh, what are your thoughts on the correct name of Yeshua, as the name Jesus didn't exist in, in his day, uh, well, before his, his birth? Uh, I'm just not sure what Yahweh, um, where that comes from, what matches Yahweh. So I'll, I'll guess I'll, back. I'll read the full comment then. Uh, I'm very interested in, in the true name of Yehovah or the YHWH, the Tetragrammaton, and appreciate the interest and explanations you have been investigating. I have seen serious studies by various groups within the uh, Yahweh, Yehovah, or very other variations of Yah. There have been a debate on the vowel points and the unspoken lost name. One theory intrigued me when a person stated that since Yeshua came in his father's name, Yeshua matches Yahweh or, uh, or Yehovah or uh, and by extension, hallelujah. I guess by the, the consonants that are in Yeshua are similar to the consonants in Yahweh or Yehovah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the correct pronunciation, not of the Tetragrammaton, but of Yeshua in light of, yeah. of the, of the consonants are? So Yeshua, uh, Joshua, Hosea, Isaiah, these are all the same name. And they all have, and, and Hebrew names. This is why the other argument that I saw came across that the, although there's no scriptural, uh, sorry, no inscriptions supporting it, the deduction that this, uh, rabbi, uh, is comes to that the name, in fact, could be pronounced Yahava. This is a very compelling argument because of his, uh, tying the pronunciation to root words. And every single Hebrew name, there's not a single Hebrew name that does not have meaning. You know, you might call your, your, your son or daughter something and somebody asks, what does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't have any meaning. This is, this is not the Hebrew culture at all. Uh, so Isaiah, uh, Yeshua, uh, Hosea, they all mean, um, God, Yah, saves. So it's all about God saving. So the, the Hebrew is two words. Yah saves. And um, I guess what, what you what they might be saying there is that the Yah uh, would be sort of the, the pronunciation. Um, I think this is a, a shortened form in, in Psalms. We see Yah. But this, again, is the argument that the names, the, the Hebrew um, vowels, or sorry, the Hebrew root words, the, the root words are consonants. And uh, when we put these consonants together, they have meaning. And so Yehovah, the real meaning of Yehovah, and I, I think uh, in Worldwide, they used to say the Eternal. That's actually a pretty good translation of Jehovah, the Lord. Uh, it has to do with he that was, that is, and that will be. And then there's also other words in there that, that we can see father, we can see love, in addition to life. So all of this is embedded in the word, uh, Jehovah. Um, Yeshua is basically saying, it's this God who saves. Hosea, um, Isaiah, they're all the same word. They're all the same meaning. 
So I would say um, the pronunciation for Jesus, I, I would say is uh, Yeshua. Um, and uh, you will hear people say Ha Masayah. Uh, ha meaning the Messiah. Ha Masayah. So it's God saves and it's going to be saved through the anoint. Messiah means the anointed one. He's the anointed mm-hmm. one. Yeah, um, yeah, so that, that's a, sorry, I was uh, reading ahead to a couple of, of other questions to get prepared. So definitely, definitely appreciate that. Uh, thank you for that. And, and, um, again, um, go back to the Psalm 98 to 100 for a f- uh, much further explanation. Oh, I know, yeah, I know what I was going to say. Uh, even in the English, uh, translations of the King James Bible, the difference, and you'll see that in Psalm 110 is that the, the, uh, Yehovah is capitalized Lord. Uh, and the uh, Adonai is, is lowercase lower. Right. So they've even made distinctions there for sure. What's really fascinating to me, though, and I don't have an explanation for this, is uh, the Septuagint and the Apostle Paul preaching almost exclusively from the Septuagint. And there, Jehovah is always translated Kyrios. So Paul translated it into Greek and then preached in the Greek. Um, so this to me is quite fascinating that he did not um, preserve the Hebrew name, even though it's in the Greek text. He actually translated it into Greek and everywhere in the Septuagint. It's pronounced curios. Interesting. And Paul was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Hebrew of the Hebrews. Right. So that, that, that says something very significant. The, um, the next question comes from uh, Sister Christie. Will you explain the difference between an apostle and a disciple? And if there are any modern-day apostles, or have there been any in recent history? Uh, I love a uh, great question. I love the question. And by the way, I should mention, um, we have no feed from um, Facebook at all. I, I went on the Facebook page, and I'm not seeing it broadcast there. So the restreaming is not working. And I haven't been doing my job and looking at uh, YouTube, but I, I, I do see there is a question, at least one question on YouTube. So I'll check that in a moment. Um, but this question, I, I think, in a nutshell is, um, uh, do we have any modern-day apostles? Is that the question? Correct. And the difference yeah. between apostle and disciple. Yeah. So I would say absolutely we have modern day apostles. Of course we do. They tell us all the time and they're all false. So all the modern day apostles are false. So we have the sense that apostle meaning one sent. So we could say, oh, yeah, we're all apostles because we're all sent. But in terms of capital A apostle, there were 12. And we know there were 12 because when we open the book Revelation and we go to the end, there are 12 apostles. And so Judah gave up his apostleship, and the apostle Paul was chosen to replace him. And those are the 12 apostles. They all interacted directly with Jesus Christ, and they were all sent directly by Jesus Christ. And they are the apostles. Anybody else in in a modern context who says they're an apostle, sure, you're an apostle, but you're a false apostle. So there's only the 12. Did, did, Did I answer the whole question? I think maybe there's another part. A difference between apostle and disciple. I think it, I think it answers in there. Uh, you use the phrase, uh, capital A, uh, apostle. We've sort of come up with that locally here. Uh, and I think that the, uh, just to add a little bit more to that is the, the Greek words that were used to come up with this name apostle and even elder and deacon were actually Greek words in use as verbs. So they were servants, they were shepherds, they were one sent. Um, and then they were used and taken by Christ uh, th- through the, the the writing of the the 
the apostles um, to form off to take the, the 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 proper name of an office. So anyone can serve, but there's an office of deacon. Anyone right. can be a diakonos. Even in fact, Paul and Paul and Christ were were described as diakonos, but everyone wouldn't. No one would say they were deacons. Right. Um, there's there's shepherds and pastors, but there are capital E elders or presbyteros. And now we've got uh, capital A apostles. And Matthias is one. He was he was actually one sent to to uh, to pair up because Christ always sent them in twos. But he was selected by them. He wasn't selected by Christ himself. And so. Uh, completely agree with the 12, uh, the 11 that Christ selected himself that stayed faithful to him, plus the one he personally selected in Paul. Uh, and exactly. And they, maybe you could just comment on the notion of discipleship. What, uh, what, what is a disciple? And are there, are, are there modern day disciples? I, 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 there better be. We should, all be <laughs> we should all be disciples. In fact, uh, this is, this is my personal opinion. Um, I, I prefer to be called a disciple than a Christian. Um, right. um, I think, I think it differentiates. Uh, th- it differentiates those who are devout because there are devout people who are not part of the first fruits or who are not uh, faithful followers of the covenant. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus Christ. They just don't understand his law and don't, and haven't, haven't committed to this way of life the way he expects it. Uh, you know, follower, disciple, I think that's a, a, a better determination yeah. for me personally yeah. of those who are, are faithful followers who've been baptized and believe in the, the, the entire law and the testimonies of Christ. And in fact, the term Christian is a very dangerous term. I mean, today we understand we're followers of Christ. We better be followers of Christ. And we rehearse the Passover every year. We rehearse his death so that we can be faithful right to the end. We understand how he died, why he died. If we have to go the same way, we're Christians. But the term, they were actually first called Christians in um, Antioch. And, and it was an insult. And it was a way of separating the followers of Christ from the Hebrews. So then you had this sort of a separation now between the Hebraic Christianity and then that opened the door for this Greco-Roman Christianity. Whereas if we were just called followers of the way, uh, then it would be rooted in Torah. That we are, we are followers of Torah. Um, and, and Christ is our rabbi. Um, but I think this term Christianity then kind of created this new separate religion apart from the Hebraic root. Let me just check here. Oh, so go ahead, Murray. I'll just check it for no, another. It's, it's a great connection to Torah. I mean, Torah means you know the path or the, or the way itself. So, uh, uh, great connection there. Um, we have a, we have a quick one here on um, on flat Earth. What is your understanding in regards to flat Earth? And I've read and reread the history of creation and cannot find it the scripture to support a flat Earth. Uh, maybe go ahead and take that one, Murray. I just uh, digest sure. this question here. Yeah, so uh, I think one place to start here is in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 22. Isaiah 40, verse 22 is one scripture. Um, and uh, obviously cutting into the context, let's let's be sure we go all the way back to and get the full context of, of it as you read it. But um, verse 21 says, have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told you from the beginning, and have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. And he brings the princes to nothing and he makes the judges of the earth useless. So uh, we do find glimpses and I'm sure there's more. I just don't have any at the uh, at the right here. But this is an example of a scripture here 
that definitely speaks to the globe-like nature of, of the earth. Very good. That's excellent. Excellent scripture. Um, there's a question here in um, YouTube. Let me just put it up here. Um, does the name of the Lord or Lord also indicate a reputation, kingly characteristic, or function of the eternal? Yes, uh, Brother Lee, absolutely. Um, embedded in the name is God's character. And embedded in the name is the sense of eternity, eternal life. And, and God is love. And the, all of this is embedded in the name. So his character is in the name. And when we receive a new name, we're going to receive a white stone, God willing, with uh, a, a name written in that stone. It's also going to be an indication of the essence of our character. So absolutely, uh, Hebrew names always embed within them the character and, and the function. Uh, all of that is in the name. And, and that's, I think, going to be a, a lifetime of study as we praise our God uh, and come to understand him more and more fully. And, and David, as he came to understand him, he was just bursting with praise and, and then is summoning the whole creation to join him to be bursting with praise. And I think sometimes in our tradition, uh, we can be very uh, stoic when it comes to praising God. Don't give anything away. Don't don't dare. Don't dare express any kind of emotion. Uh, Psalm 103 is saying the exact opposite. Be intense When you recognize who this is we're praising and the relationship that we've been called into, be intense in your praise of him. And so I think it's going to be an eternal study in understanding everything that's behind this holy name. Yeah, and you know, I, I did grow up in the Church of God movement, and um, um, that has been a, a uh, admittedly a personal struggle of mine is to learn to to be passionate about about your your open praise of God. Uh, certainly, something I'm still working on. Yeah, yeah. I um, have another question here, um, Pastor Murray from Sister June. Here, did you say the verse where the body is, there will the vultures be gathered together? Will you explain this verse again? Yeah, just very quickly. This is in Matthew 24, and Christ himself says this, that he's explaining that, or he's trying to, you know, the disciples ask, like, when will you be, when will you return? That's why they wanted to know when the end would be, uh, when all these things, and we have to read Matthew 23 to understand what the, these things are. So when will, when will be the end of the age? When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? How do we know when you'll actually appear? So in answering that third question, how will we know when you will appear? Uh, Christ is saying to them, don't be fooled. There's going to be so much deception. And many of God's people are going to fail because they will be fooled. They, they will give themselves over to their pleasures. They'll give themselves over to their carnality, to their egos, and they will be taken out. But don't you be taken out. Just, just wait patiently for me. And you will know when I'm coming. You won't have to. When, when people, part of the deception is uh, people are going to say, you know, uh, come to the desert. Come to Mecca. He's with us. He's, he's praying now in Mecca, uh, in the mosque. Come and see. And there'll be all kinds of miracles. And there'll be like, it looks like this is true. There's going to be lots of evidence to show supernatural signs to show that this looks like it's true. And Christ is saying, don't go. Don't be fooled by this. Because when I come, You'll know. And then he uses an analogy of the fig tree to say um, you, sh- you should know when it's coming, when it's near. You should know when we're entering into the season because of the blossom on the fig tree. He then uses Noah to say uh, the, the wicked will be taken away. Uh, those that are in Christ, as Noah was, 
will be safe when this flood comes. And then he just explains, look, when I come, everything, so the whole place will be in darkness. In, in other words, um, the only evidence you're looking for of my return is that over which man has no control. The signs will be in the heavens. Men will be doing all kinds on the earth and all kinds of miracles will be taking place on the earth. And people are going to be passionate about the miracles they're seeing on the earth. Don't you fall for it? Because the only sign, so the answer to the third question, the sign of my coming, it's in the heavens. So everything's going to go dark. And when I return, I'm going to light everything up. And all over the earth, this light will be seen. And all the Gentile tribes of the earth will be terrified. And all the hypocrites will be terrified when this happens. But my people, I will gather. So where the carcass is, and this is, think of Christ uh, crucified, the, the Passover, he is the, the lamb crucified from the foundation of the earth. So being that lamb crucified from the foundation of the earth, he's actually, by analogy, referring to himself as the carcass. And, and those who eat his flesh and drink his blood, by analogy, we can be referred to as the vultures. And he's saying, look, my people will be with me. Don't, don't you worry. Just be faithful like Noah. And when I return, I will bring you to myself. The dead in Christ will rise first. The first fruits who are alive and remain will then rise next. And then the angels will be instructed to go throughout the earth and bring and gather the physical descendants of Jacob. So this is, so he's, he, Christ is the center of it all and everything converges to Christ. So I hope, uh, Sister June, that, that helps. Thank you for that explanation again. We do have a couple more questions on this side on the uh, uh, cgichurchonline.org. Uh, one from Shah, uh, who quotes, who heals all your diseases. The question is, does this mean he heals all of our spiritual diseases? And part two, why do many faithful brethren continue to suffer from physical diseases? So, so it says all diseases. And, and Israel... Um, was cursed with disease. So again, the covenant clauses activate diseases upon Israel. But God will not be angry forever. And at some point, the covenant curses will have done their job. And this is what God wants. He just wants mercy. He just wants repentance from them. And so he will heal all diseases and bring uh, Israel to himself and will heal their heart, uh, will heal the spiritual um, uh, flawed nature of man, Jeremiah 17. Um, so yes, spiritual and physical. And then the second part was, I think, why um, Christians today are not healed of all diseases. Why faithful followers, yeah, are not yes, healed of all diseases. Yes. Um, and this, I think, and, and Pastor Murray, I, I do listen to your prayers when you pray for those who uh, seek healing, and, and we have to accept God's will. Um, you know, being healed is not necessarily the best thing for us. It's possible for us to be healed and in that healing go astray. Uh, so God knows what we need and when we need it. And, and Christ says, you know, if you ask for, uh, if you ask for bread, is he going to give you a serpent? You know, if you ask for an egg, is he going to give you a scorpion? Uh, no, he's our loving father. And so even though we may suffer, that suffering may in fact be good for us. And God knows God has this, you know, holistic view of our whole life and everything that's happening. And, and there is patience. There is wisdom. Uh, there, there's a tenderness that comes of suffering. And we are going to work alongside Christ administering his kingdom to the whole earth. 
and and he's going to crown us with his cassette, his loving kindness. But to be in this sort of high priest uh, role or this priestly role with with Melchizedek, we have to like him have suffered. So so suffering is not necessarily a, a curse. Uh, for those of us in Christ, all things work together for good. And so sickness, disease, we have to accept as part of the all things. And Paul spoke uh, about his, the thorn in his side. And if there was any, if there was anyone who was who was faithful and should have been healed based us strictly on faith, it was Paul. Uh, but he had a he had that thorn that uh, God just let him continue to live out his life with. So yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I'm just seeing another comment here. I, I'm just going to put it up. I haven't had a chance to uh, fully read it. Let's see. Draw a circle. It won't look like a globe. And there are over 60 scriptures that attest to the fact that it is immovable, not flying anywhere over the firmament and across some unknown universe. I guess keep it simple, stupid is what S. I, I hope that's not what it Maybe Keep it simple, spiritual brother is what KISS stands for, maybe. Um, I'm not really sure um, how to fully unpack that. Um, but I guess it's in response to something you had said about the circle of the earth or the sphere. Yeah, it's, it sounds like uh, uh, that brother is a believer in the flat earth uh, theory. Mm. It's just in the shape of a circle. Um, mm. You know, now's not the time to go into a, that, that's a more in-depth uh, uh, study. Perhaps something mm-hmm. that we can look at into the future. Um, and maybe we've got some some material uh, that has already been covered by another elder that we can uh, we yeah. can cover off next week. Very good. And then just a quick comment here. Um, uh, Rob Fontel, thanks for your comment. He says, suffering is not good and that healing is always good. Um, I, I think this is opposite to the scripture. You know, we, we are called to suffer with him. And it's very important that we understand this, that if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Um, and, and those who will not accept suffering and will abandon the faith because they're like, oh, I, I, they'll be offended. Many will be offended. I didn't sign up for this. That is a very dangerous view. So so God says, I counsel you. Here's my advice. Buy from me gold tried in the fire. Go into the fire. This is my advice to you. And this will be good for you because there's no other. I, I don't see any other hope for you except you do this. So suffering is endorsed by scripture. We need to understand that. And then the comment, um, Rob, that, that healing is always good. Again, I would point to scripture. I, I, I can't. I would have to take a little while to search for it here. I think uh, Pastor Murray was King Hezekiah. Uh, maybe it wasn't him, but one of them uh, prayed for healing. He was healed. He was given another 15 years, and uh, and uh, and it was not good. It would have been better for him to actually die faithful than to be given that extra time. And I forget exactly what happened, but I, I do recall that that 15-year period, uh, things went sideways for him. It, well, yeah, and it was King Hezekiah. That's right. That's right. Very good. Okay. And then uh, uh, Posen Otto says trials can make us stronger. Absolutely. They can also make us tender. You know, it's like when you're pounding meat and it's tenderized. And, and God uh, describes himself as, um, uh, yeah, exactly, drink my cup. Very good, IA. Um, God describes himself as fuller soap and as a furnace and that he's going to purify the sons of Levi. So it's, and, and, in fact, this whole story about Israel is about Israel going into the fire and finally coming out after all of this suffering that Moses prophesied and all the prophets prophesied, after all of this suffering, finally, God is going to have Israel as his bride and as his jewel. But it requires suffering. 
we're grateful that uh, our Savior did not think that uh, suffering was a, a bad thing to be avoided. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. And I'm just seeing a, a comment here on the chat um, that it's completely false that the J did not exist in certain historic ages. Both the J sound and a way of writing it has always existed. The false teachings on this have come from the Kabbalah. Substituting the Y and the Y sound is just another part of the same Kabbalistic magic in sound teachings. And, and this is uh, par- partially true. There is a J sound. It doesn't come from Yod. Yod is always pronounced Ya. So, so ja, get, getting the J sound out of uh, the Tetragrammaton, this is impossible. So this, uh, the, we have to be serious and uh, guard against uh, Kabbalistic teachings, but that's uh, that's incorrect. But but partially, yeah, the J sound is there, but it didn't come from the Yod. We do have one other question here from uh, Jeff, and I'm not uh, from our brother Jeff in Ohio. Uh, we may have to you know, postpone the answer here. I'm not sure how long it'll take to get through, but he says uh, uh, regarding uh, last week's fantastic sermon where he covered the letters to the churches and the, the rewards as part of sudden death overtime. His question is, are there any theories or other biblical references that may help to understand the esoteric meaning of the hidden names given to the overcomers or the meaning of a new name given to the Messiah? It sounds exciting, yet very mysterious. Yeah, and this is a great question. Uh, I think it is. uh, In fact, in one point, Christ says that it's a secret name that only he and the recipient will know it. Um, So I think the secret things belong to God. Uh, we need to uh, satisfy ourselves with what he reveals to us. And and, and it, it can be dangerous, especially if leaders come along and say, you know, I have these special secrets and, and follow me and I'll, uh, you know, get into sort of this Gnosticism, follow me and I'll reveal these secrets to you. No, hidden things belong to God. And we're, we're going to be satisfied with those things that he reveals to us as and when uh, we need them. So I would not um, I would not try to uncover these esoteric meanings and, and dig into those things when clearly it's not available to us at this time. Yeah. Uh, the exciting thing about it is it's something to look forward to, uh, to to the revealing of that. So that so that should encourage us to stay on the right path, to continue to overcome, to continue to repent, because we've got these other exciting things that uh, uh, have not been revealed to us yet, that, that Christ is just waiting and, and uh, waiting to be able to reveal to us. Right. So um, interesting, interesting stuff to, to, to chat about as long as we don't get caught up too much in, in, in uh, making it a central doctrine for sure. Amen. I'm just looking at the time, uh, Pastor yeah. Murray. So maybe we need to, uh, I, and I love when brethren interact with us here uh, like this. So thank you so much, brethren. Thank you so much for following us. Uh, thank you so much for all your contributions. Uh, iron sharpens iron. So we, we're all going to help each other through this. And I think um, most of all, what's most important, what I'm really seeing most of all is uh, God's last command before he left this earth, was to love one another. And he didn't say it once, he said it multiple times. And uh, that is actually going to feature into now um, part two of Sudden Death Overtime. So we hope that you'll join us uh, this Sabbath when we'll conclude uh, Sudden Death Overtime. And we will uh, unpack uh, this command uh, that we have to love one another. And, and to understand that not doing this means we're going to be taken away with the flood of deception. That this, this really is the antidote, uh, and it's why God was so emphatic that we do this, and why we have the Passover and the, the, the agape love. It's, it's such a central part of this path that we walk, and what it means to be a Christian. So uh, final words, Pastor Murray? 
Uh, no, looking forward to uh, the, you taking that up on, uh, on the Sabbath and definitely appreciate, uh, again, all your hard work with the technology and putting together the studies. And uh, thank you to everyone for uh, joining us. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you on Sabbath. Amen. Uh, praise him. Jesus is Lord. Amen.